here at uh, the Clinton Donnelly Show, we're going to have multiple shows going forward where we're going to break down these proposed regulations in a little bit more bite-sized chunks and really tease out the implications and where are the loopholes that we see, where do we think we can go, and of course, watching what developments happen with the hearing and the final regulations. I think what's different about our channel versus a lot of other channels, they might be whining about these regulations and what an attack it is on DeFi, et cetera, et cetera. But here on this channel, we're going to tear it down, break it apart, and make it information that you can use, whether you're a trader, whether you're a crypto firm, that you can understand how these regulations are going to affect you, what your options are, and what steps you can take to protect yourself. Welcome to the Clinton Donnelly Show, where we explore how tax and regulation affect our everyday lives. And with me to discuss this today are two of my team members, David Canedo, who is the product lead at our company, he's the manager, and he is an incredible expert on crypto taxation. Also, I have with me is Ben Weber, who is the director of crypto analytics at our company. This is going to be a very exciting show. You know, the other area with the KYC, if you think about it, each company does its own KYC. You go to this bank, they do their KYC, that bank, they're doing their KYC, know your customer, source of funds, who they are. Each individual company has its own responsibility. When in the crypto space, we're looking at maybe, well, it depends on who considers themselves a broker, but you could be hundreds or thousands of entities that would have to do this. Would it make sense to have a blockchain encrypted based uh, identity type of coin so that these entities wouldn't have to do their own. They would just simply use an existing entity, which has already validated the KYC for somebody. I mean, there's just an alternative. A topic that I definitely wanted to talk about. Ben, I'm looking at you since you live in the data. Uh, I've seen a couple of proposals already out there. I saw Coinbase proposing tax tokens. I'm not fully clear as to how it would work. Basically, the tax token would attach to your wallet addresses. I suspect you still have to get the data. I also saw that Vitalik, just last week, him, somebody from Chainalysis and a couple of other people, they released a white paper about some type of privacy protocol, not privacy in the terms that we know it with Monero and such, but privacy as far as a zero knowledge proof to prove your identity for AML tax purposes. I'll be honest, that white paper was very technical. It went a little bit over my head, but what is very intriguing about it to me and I just want to remind everyone, the blockchain is a database. It's a giant ledger. It's an immutable ledger. We already have all the records. So it seems to me like if we want to get all this information, there might be a more innovative blockchain native approach to go about it. I mean, Ben, what do you think? I think these proposed regulations are probably going to come into effect in some you know, form or another. And these blockchains are going to have to adapt to the regulations or they will die, but it's going to be easier maybe for some of them to not interact with us people, you know, on a decentralized network. How do you know who the users are? Well, if there's a threat of, you know, litigation from the us government, maybe it's easier just to stop, you know, stop the blockchain, stop the protocol than it is to adapt to the regulations. But if they want to survive, they're going to have to adapt. I think there's a way to do it. Um, it just hasn't been found yet. Like you said, there's so much data on the blockchain 
It's just a matter of figuring out how to present that. And I think with these proposed regulations, guidelines on how that can be done and how these blockchains can adapt to the regulations. I think the regulations and blockchains need to meet, you know, in the middle rather than right now it's like one side or the other. Something interesting about what you said, Ben, if they're able to turn off the protocol, turn off the whatever blockchain it is, then it probably wasn't too decentralized in the first place if you're that quickly able to shut it shut it off. I mean, one of my concerns is that if you do regulate DeFi this heavily, once you create DeFi, it's already out there in the world. You can't put it back. So we're probably going to see a DeFi survive. My guess is it's probably going to be somewhere in the corner of the dark web or somewhere like that that we will see the current DeFi go to if they don't cooperate with the U.S. regulators. Clinton, what do you think, uh, from your perspective, do you think that the regulators, uh, whether it's for AML, BSA purposes or tax reporting, do you think it would be open to some of these other innovative proposals that don't necessarily fall within traditional financial reporting? Oh, yes, I think so. I think one of the problems we have right now with blockchain, and I've said this for a couple of years, I'm, I'm in written print on this, is that the biggest weakness with most blockchain protocols is that they're not instrumented for tax information recording. And that is, they set aside a block where it could write down who the tax identities are of the two parties that did the exchange. Maybe some classification of the type of transaction that it was. You know, that needs to be added to blockchains. If we think about the internet, we have in the internet uh, multiple layers of protocol. We have the, I think it's called the UDP, where it's just an unstructured format. And then on top of that, you have, the, you have the IP and you have the TCP on top of it. So the IP is basically a block and it's going over there. And then the TCP puts more information on top of that and says, this is what it is. It's you know, this type of information or that information. Then we have more application protocols that stack on top of that, that fill out that block with the information that higher levels of programs need. So I think what's going to happen is we'll see the tax instrumentation not happening at the layer one, uh, which ultimately becomes somewhat equivalent to IP. And then uh, we, it really is going to happen at, at a higher layer two or layer three protocol in the protocol stack. And I think ultimately that's where blockchain goes. What we think of now, these things, they're, they're basically authentication networks. It's like a database, but it's an authentication network. And this is how Visa is posturing itself, is that they're an authentication network. They don't actually move the money. They just guarantee that that bank is willing to pay it to this uh, merchant. And I think that's what we're ultimately going to see uh, because, as you said, blockchains are databases. They are not financial transactions. I mean, we, it, you could call them stores of value, but ultimately that's not what they're there for. They're there to facilitate high frequency movement in a trusted manner and a decentralized manner. So there's no single point of attack. So yeah, I think it's interesting. What do you think, David, this means for the Bitcoin investor who just buys Bitcoin, hodls? Uh, why should he care about this? Honestly, and this is not financial advice for anybody listening, but I think personally I'd be bullish on Bitcoin because if I'm looking at the regulations and if I go to CoinMarketCap and I look at the list of more than 10,000 coins, we don't know the regulatory status of the majority of them. A lot of them, you know, could they be securities or what are they? Again, to your question, what does this mean for Bitcoin? I mean, again, I would be very bullish on Bitcoin right now because if I'm looking at the regulatory status of Bitcoin, 
We know that it is a commodity based on the CFTC. That is the only coin that we have not heard a hesitation behind. Is it a commodity or a security? We know that Bitcoin is being offered in much more regulated exchanges. You can buy it on PayPal, you can buy it on Fidelity, you can buy it on Robinhood. Bitcoin doesn't have this DeFi cloud hanging over its head, uh, sort of say. And so again, you know, if I'm looking at all these reasons, I think, sure, Bitcoin has other potential issues. You know, we got to answer the question about the mining electricity and things like that. But I think if you're looking at the institutional investors, look at different things like MicroStrategy, Bitcoin Grayscale Trust, all these different products that are offered within regulated exchanges. None of these are going to have any impact uh, from the regulations because all these exchanges already know how to do the reporting. So for that reason, uh, I would feel pretty good about Bitcoin going forward. It's kind of ironic because, you know, these regulations were saying they, they could potentially kill DeFi, but Bitcoin is truly decentralized. So, you know, Bitcoin has done it right from the beginning. <laughs> and what do you think? What do you think, Clinton? I know you're following closely the Taproot update to Bitcoin and the fact that Bitcoin can have smart contracts on it now. Now, we haven't really seen a huge DeFi ecosystem yet pop up from Bitcoin, but do you think this might give people that are trying to build DeFi and Bitcoin a reason to maybe stop? Or what do you think? Because to me, if we continue building DeFi and Bitcoin, now we're basically opening up the exposure to have data tactiles by the regulations. Well, the Taproot enhancement brings smart contract and other functionality to Bitcoin. So it's very similar to other blockchains. You know, DeFi lives in that protocol smart contract space and Bitcoin becomes the underlying communication ledger system for that. And I think we have need for multiple protocols for this. We can't put all the work on Bitcoin. I wouldn't be surprised if there aren't some other similar ones. There's some other proof of work blockchains that are integrated there. I think ultimately cryptocurrency diversifies outside of financial transactions so that it does really become a true database. I mean, look at like uh, airplane reservation systems and tracking seats sold on airplanes flights. You know, you need a high speed communication network and something like Solana or you know, Cardano or Ethereum would provide for that, but without really there being a financial transaction, I'm not sure how these regulations uh, treat that type of use for a blockchain. I, I, I mean, because it, it feels to me like these regulations are trying to treat those all as monetary transactions when it's just a database. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's an interesting issue. We'll have to see how that works as members of the Chamber of Digital Commerce, you know, the commerce together is looking at how to respond to even those type of questions. I had a question for you, Ben. One of the areas that really hits home, all these regulations hit home, is when people are doing their taxes at the beginning of the next year, uh, and they have to calculate their gain. And up until now, the IRS had an FAQ, which basically said you could select the method for determining the cost basis after the fact. So people could play around with the gain calculation. They could go FIFO, LIFO, HIFO, whatever they wanted. But these rules, I think, have reversed, the IRS has reversed themselves. How do you see this playing out? If people aren't aware of this yet, they should be because most of the people that come to us, it's after the facts, after they've done all their trading, they haven't thought about taxes, you know, since a year before. So people are going to have to be vigilant in, you know, what they do. 
So the new rules are basically saying, you know, if you want to go specific identification, you have to pretty much document at the time of the trade, what tax lot you're choosing to sell. Now, most people don't even have a list of their tax lots. Um, and even for us, you know, we can provide a list at the end of the year, but if you've done trading between the end of the year and, you know, the present date, your tax lots are going to be different. So this is a, a huge challenge. So most likely people are going to be forced to use FIFO if they're not aware of this and not actually documenting the tax lots they sell. And generally in the past, FIFO has given the highest gains number, meaning, you know, the highest tax liability. So this is going to come at a surprise to people. And even just, you know, an idea that occurred to me is how, how do the exchanges decide what tax lots are being sold? Because they're ultimately going to be doing the reporting since they're considered brokers. I don't know, unless the these brokers implement some sort of option to pick your tax lots when you sell, uh, it's probably going to be FIFO. Which in a up market is going to result in higher, higher capital gains that people are going to have to pay. And I think uh, it is going to be interesting to see how we see the regulations move forward. I know that if you, this specific phase was mostly focused on the definition of a broker and in addition, a couple of those two pieces, like, you know, the, the ordering and also the amounts realized and fees, but they stated that later phases of the regulations are going to focus on implementing the transfer reporting, basically. If I'm moving crypto between Coinbase, Binance, Crack, and uh, my MetaMask, those rules are not there yet. I'm not surprised that they haven't given us those rules. But I mean, let's think about the complexity. So early on, we're talking about the fact that we're seeing the 1099s that are not incorrect. Why? Because they don't have the tax basis. Because you start by buying a coin over here, you transfer it here, and now you don't have the basis. Okay, so they are looking to address this in theory every single time you transfer coins between anything unless it is an unhosted wallet there's going to be a transfer statement the brokers are going to send how do you even implement this i mean i'm looking at this i'm really really eager to see what the next phase of the regulations is going to be because again how do you implement the transfer statements between number one the volume of uh, trades between the different exchanges, even even domestic exchanges. Number two, the foreign exchanges, the non-compliant exchanges, the issues with the data. And again, DeFi, how are you gonna implement transfer reporting? It, it would seem like uh, these regulations are pushing people to use almost sort of simplicity in their crypto activity to using only one broker, only using you know maybe one wallet because, you know, the more brokers or exchanges that you're using, the more complex this is going to be. And the more wallets you have transferring between wallets from wallet to exchange, exchange to wallet. I mean, this is just normal uh, things that crypto investors do. That's just going to be a huge challenge. And it seems like, you know, the easiest approach from a taxpayer's perspective is to just use one exchange, just use a few wallets. Although a lot of people, you know, they, they want to go to a different exchange to buy a different token or, you know, they use different wallets for security purposes or wallets to, you know, pay for things. Some wallets are cold storage. Some are hot wallets where they're actually using. So it seems like simplicity from a taxpayer's perspective is going to be an advantage. You know, the funny thing is that we actually saw PayPal go the other way around because in PayPal, you used to have to buy your crypto there and you can only keep it there. And a couple of weeks ago, they actually allowed people to start withdrawing their crypto. 
which really confused me because Ben, I agree with you. It seems like the way they're going is into an environment where you can only buy stuff and sell it within that same exchange. But then PayPal goes and does something that's completely the opposite. So I'm really, I would be lying to you if I said, I know what's going to happen here, but I'm very curious to see what the feedback from the industry is going to be like. And, you know, the hearings, November 7th and 8th. And gentlemen, grab your popcorn. Uh, let's go to DC because it's going to be very interesting. <laughs> David, maybe you might have some final comments. How can people protect themselves now going forward? Sure. From the moment that I saw the regulations come out, I started to think, what is what does this mean to the taxpayer? What does this mean to the crypto investor in the U.S.? And please feel free to interrupt me, chime in. But number one, I think that if you're a U.S. crypto investor, more than anything, you have to understand your situation. Are you only buying Bitcoin or do you have 20 different exchanges? If you're only buying Bitcoin, are you transferring that to an unhosted wallet? Huh. You may want to make sure that you have good records of your tax basis and everything, because again, the transfers of that is going to be a little bit problematic, uh, at least early on. If you have a lot of different exchanges, you need to start thinking about what's going to happen with that. Are you using a lot of DeFi protocols? How much money do you want to keep on DeFi? How much do you have locked in into liquidity pools and things like that, that maybe it may be a little bit difficult to get it out. Again, you know, you got to... I'm not gonna not gonna give you financial advice, but again, you gotta do your own risk management because there is a risk that some of these funds you may lose access to. So number two, I think you gotta protect yourself. If you find out that you have exposure, if you're using a lot of different DeFi protocols, a lot of different exchanges, even if you've reported your taxes to the best of your ability, you just don't know what data the IRS could be getting. You know, between the different John Doe summons, they could be looking at the FTX list. You don't know what they're looking at. You don't know if they're looking at gross proceeds and you filed based on what your basis. You never know where there might be a subtle difference. That's why at Crypto Tax Audit, we've rebranded one of our best services. It's now called IRS Card Dog. And with this, for $12 a month, you can sign up for this. And we're going to give you a status of your tax account with the IRS, letting you know that everything checks out. If there's any issues, the moment that they start looking at your account, we'll alert you and we can be proactive about fixing that. So again, you got to protect yourself. And honestly, I think anything beyond that, just I would say subscribe, follow our channel, follow our social media, because as you said, Clinton, we're going to be breaking down the regulations as we go over the next month and a half, two months, as they turn into final regulations. These are not final yet, but they're going to change everything for crypto investors. Thank you really for those comments. And I think what's different about our channel versus a lot of other channels, they might be whining about these regulations and what a, an attack it is on DeFi, et cetera, et cetera. But here on this channel, we're going we're gonna to tear it down, break it apart, and make it information that you can use, whether you're a trader, whether you're a crypto firm, that you can understand how these regulations are going to affect you, what your options are, and what steps you can take to protect yourself. So please, subscribe and uh, like our show and recommend it to others. Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you very much, David, for your contributions. I look forward to talking to you some more about this in the future. I have one last word to say, which is taxes are sexy. The Clinton Donnelly Show, where we explore how taxation and regulations of cryptocurrencies affect your daily life as an investor. Clinton has a law degree in international financial regulation. He is an enrolled agent and certified as a cryptocurrency anti-financial crime specialist. 
He has clients in 71 countries. He is one of the top experts in crypto taxation in the US. This show is sponsored by CryptoTaxAudit.com, the income tax experts for US crypto investors. Are you frustrated with using online crypto tax services to calculate capital gains? Are you a high frequency trader, DeFi, NFT, play to earn or quail investor? Nothing is too complicated for the experts at CryptoTaxAudit.com. Are you frustrated that your accountant doesn't understand crypto taxes? Crypto Tax Audit uses a proven, bulletproof crypto tax return methodology to prepare a tax return that doesn't attract the attention of the IRS. Crypto Tax Audit also offers an exclusive audit defense membership service. It's like car insurance for your tax return. If your return gets selected for an audit of crypto reporting, they will defend you at no additional charge for the entire life of the audit. No one offers anything like audit defense membership. Go to CryptoTaxAudit.com to learn more and schedule a private tax consultation now. The opinions expressed in this show are not legal advice. Tax and regulations are complicated. Your situation is unique, so you should always consult a tax professional.